0: Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I just want to remind you, um, let's see, today's the 23rd. I think elections are just two weeks from this coming Tuesday. And so I encourage you to pray. Um, The law forbids me from endorsing candidates from the pulpit. But I can ask you to pray for the pro-life guys and gals. Um, You've probably seen the smear... Tactics that are going on, and they're just expressing the shock that there are people crazy enough and absurd enough to call abortion murder. And they even had a teenage girl on a com- on a on a commercial today. She goes, "Oh, if I happen to get raped and get pregnant, I'm forced to give birth, and all that sort of thing." So we pray about pray about that. I uh, understand that there's a huge battle going on. It's spiritual more than political. And it's not, anyway, so just please, please pray. I think probably most of you have been, but please continue to do so, right? That has nothing to do with tonight's message, but anyway, I feel like really burdened to to ask you to pray. God does answer prayer, absolutely. Um, Ephesians 4 tonight. And you may have seen in the bulletin the title, Gifts Unto Men. And so, i um, tell you honestly tonight, I'm not sure if we're gonna, how many messages it's going to take for us, but I do want to address this, the subject of spiritual gifts. And um, let me say at the beginning of the message that, um, that the emphasis in the first century was on spiritual gifts. I believe that's with the completion of the scripture, A large number of those gifts are no longer necessary, and God doesn't do anything that's not necessary. And so hopefully we'll see that tonight from the Scriptures. And this is one of those areas where we must allow God's Word to tell us the truth, all right? And all of the Scripture, comparing Scripture to Scripture. So we're going to do that this evening a little bit, get started. And so Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now that verse 16, basically to boil it down, means that a church is only going to be edified and grow to the point of, of, of which every member contributes, okay, that's the, that's that. all that kind of boiled down is, is saying that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the word of God tonight, and Father, help us to uh, take the word of God as it is, Lord. I pray for the help of the Holy Spirit bring it forth some things tonight. It'll probably be a reminder to some, and might be new to some, and just might be some learning uh, that will occur tonight. I sure hope so, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit and, and Father, um, help us to realize that everything that calls itself Christian is not necessarily Christian, and everybody who claims to be something doesn't mean that he or she necessarily is what they claim to be. And we, there's a lot of that, Father, as you very well know. There's a lot of that going around. God help these Scriptures to be our rule and the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Interesting that this verse, chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 8, is is an allusion, an allusion, A-L-L, to a passage in Psalm 68, verse 18. And also to Judges 5.12. Psalm 68.18 is is especially significant because it prophesied the ascension of Jesus Christ about a thousand years before it happened. About a thousand years before Jesus was even born, Psalm 68 prophesied two great things. That that Christ would ascend into heaven and that by doing so, he would make it possible for gifts to be given unto men. And so Paul... Here in Ephesians four relates to that scripture, alludes to that scripture in a in introducing this particular section on the subject of spiritual gifts. So he says that he gave gifts unto men. That's the title of tonight's message: gifts unto men. The gifts mentioned in, in Psalm sixty-eight eighteen are all re, are referred to by Paul here. In chapter 4 verse 11. Now that's not the only gift, so we're going to take this passage tonight, and we're going to take a look at a passage in Corinthians, hopefully, and look at a, a very small list of spiritual gifts. There's more, and we'll look at them, and, and by the help of God, it, it, well, hopefully we'll be able to determine which of the gifts were only for the first century, and which of the gifts have carried throughout the church age, the age in which we are living. And it's going to, so we're going to deal with four tonight. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he gave some apostles. That is, he gave some the gift of apostleship. And some the gift of prophet. And some the gift of evangelist. And some the gift of pastor-teacher. Pastors and teachers, alright? And um, so... Let's just look at these gifts, okay? And that we're go- we're going to do that. And Lord it shouldn't take very long to uh, to to uh, define these gifts, and even hopefully determine um, if any of these are still in existence, or in other words, are still valid. For the day in which you live now there are people if you look around and search out different religions and churches and philosophies and so on today you will de- you will find there are people who claim to be apostles right there are people who claim to be prophets there are people who claim to be evangelists and if I didn't think they were they were claiming the right stuff we wouldn't have them here we have evangelists. From time to time, practically every year we do. And then there are those who claim to be pastors and teachers. Alright, I happen to be one of those who claims that God has given me some, some ability as a pastor and teacher. So let's take a look at these. Let's look at the one, the one, the first one in the list, apostles. The definition of apostle is this: it means one cent a representative a messenger or an envoy literally the word the basic definition is one sent one who is sent out and as a rep- as a representative all right? now in the new testament there are men who are called apostles and these apostles in the New Testament were sent by Christ, and here's a quote from Vine's Dictionary, sent by Christ as divinely appointed founders of the church. All right? Now, in your minds anyway, Mark, think about Matthew 16, 18. Matthew 16, 18, where about the middle of verse, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. All right, so we understand that Christ promised to build His church, and so we also would understood should understand, from the teaching of the New Testament, that the church is paramount in the New Testament. All right, the church was instituted, about you know, by Christ, founded by Christ. You know, the Bible says even in a verse in Acts that He 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 gave His blood for the church. He purchased with His own blood. So the church is very important. All right, now. You probably, just think about this too, in the New Testament there are two basic usages of the word church. One is the the spiritual body of Christ. Every Christian, every saved person is part of the spiritual body. We talked about that a little bit a couple weeks ago when we talked about the baptism of the Spirit, that we're baptized into the spiritual body of Christ. Now some refer to that as the invisible church or the universal church, and it is made up of every believer, whether they're on earth or whether they're in heaven, all, we're all part of that spiritual body, but then the major emphasis in the New Testament is on what's called the visible church or the local church, like this one right here. Churches, all right, made up of believers, all right, literal bodies of believers, all right. So um, and so, the Lord says that, that the church is where He's working, right? He's working in and through the church, okay. Um, So, the Acts of the Apostles, right? The book of Acts, records the Acts of the Apostles as they went out preaching the gospel, establishing churches, ordaining elders, etc., as Christ had ordained. We need to remember that the church is not an accident, okay? Wherever the apostles went, Wherever the, in the book of Acts, whether it was, whether it was Paul or Peter, and they, they, they were the ones that were emphasized the most. But wherever they went, especially Paul, wherever Paul went and preached the gospel, a couple things happened. Three things happened. People were saved. And then, of course, they are baptized. And there were churches established. And so, and it's so easy. I don't know how, you know, nobody should miss that. Because Paul's writings are addressed to churches. The church at Corinth. The churches of Galatia. The church of Ephesus and so on. And then Jesus, the book of Revelation. Jesus Christ, chapters 2 and 3. Messages to the seven churches. We shouldn't miss that. And so, the churches were established, and then pastors or you know, elders were trained and left in these different cities as Paul went around and started more churches. And so Acts chapter 14 says they ordained, them up, they ordained elders in every church, right? And they left those men there, you know, to, to continue on the work of the ministry. Timothy was one of those. Paul left him at Ephesus, and, and Titus was left in Crete, uh, you know, carry on the work there. Um, so another thing that the apostles did was they wrote the scriptures. The apostles wrote the New Testament. Um, so, so men like Matthew, he was one of the original twelve. John was one of the original twelve. Peter was one of the original twelve, and then Paul. And of course, all except Paul were original apostles. And so, um, if I, I didn't write this down, but if, if I if I, I think I have it right, Mark, Luke, and uh, Mark, Luke, and James were the only books of the New Testament that were not written by named apostles. Right? Now, because the, the James in who wrote the book of James and Jude, Jude also James and Jude were half brothers of Jesus. James was not the brother of John. That James was killed by Herod. But the, so the New Testament was written mostly by the apostles or by people who were trained by the apostles, right? So other than the original 12, we're not going to take time. Um, if you want scripture, I'll give them to you right down. But other than the original 12, and you know what I mean by that, right? The ones that Jesus personally called, all right? And of course, Judas, one of them died. He was a false apostle. And so Matthias is called an apostle, in Acts 126 he was chosen to take Judas's place, right? In Acts 14 twice Barnabas is referred to as an apostle. In Romans 16 and verse 7 Andronicus and Junia were called they were named apostles. It says they were of note among the apostles. In other words, it means they were famous among. They were, they were of the group known as apostles. In First Thessalonians chapter 1, Silas and Timothy are referred to as apostles. Guess what? That's it. That's all. All right. So we have 12. If you count Judas, I don't know if you should count him or not, but that would be 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. So I have maybe 19. Um, I read one commentary that said there are 22, but they didn't give me the, who the 22 were. So, so what I'm saying by to so that is, of all the thousands that were saved in the first century, this is all that were qualified to be apostles. All right. Now, why was that? Let's turn to Acts chapter one. All right. Here are the qualifications for an apostle. All right. Again, we have to let the Bible. Be our guide and our authority. And here's what, when this, and what's going on in Acts chapter one. Peter stands up and he announces to the group. Probably there, and there were about 120 people there. This is still in the upper room in Acts chapter one. This is before the day of Pentecost before the holy spirit came down peter said that we need to let's go up to uh, chapter 1 and verse 21 peter s- announces to the people about judas's death and that we sh- that we ought to uh, pick it up we ought to choose the man a man to pl- replace judas and so they prayed and asked god to help them find the man all right so verse 21 wherefore of these men all right, number one, an apostle had to be a man. So if you've got any women running around claiming to be apostles, they're, just, they're either liars or they're deceived because all the apostles were men. No women apostles in the Bible. All right? So these men, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John... Until unto the same, the same day that he was taken up from us must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So, an apostle had to have been alive on the earth and a witness to the, to the, to the baptism of John and to the earthly ministry of Christ and to have been an eyewitness of, of or of, rather, have seen Jesus after his resurrection, all right? So those are very, very strict qualifications, all right? So therefore, there's nobody in this room that could be an apostle. There's only one, two, three, four, five, six, six males, and uh, none of us could be an apostle. I could never be an apostle because I'm not old enough, right? We, we weren't there. I, w- I do not meet the qualifications, and neither does anybody else who's alive today. So let me say this kindly, anybody who claims to be an apostle is either deceived or lying or both, right? There are no apostles today. In fact, there used to be a time when people were a little more straight on their doctrine history, that the first century used to be referred to as the apostolic age. And John, most likely John, was the last apostle to die out, and with him there are no more, all right? No more after him, all right? So anyway, let's take a look at prophets. How about prophets? Um, In Ephesians chapter 4, it says there God gave some prophets. That is the gift of being a prophet, all right? So that was the gift. Those are the gifts that, that the Lord gave. Now let's see. Ephesians 4, again, prophets. He gave some apostles and some prophets. Now, what is a prophet? The word that's translated prophet, both in the Old Testament, the Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek, they both have a very basic definition. Here it is. One who speaks inspired utterances. Or, in other words, words. So, In other words, a prophet received revelation from God and proclaimed it. Now notice the definition is really important. A prophet is one who speaks inspired utterances. A prophet is not an inspired speaker. There's a difference. Not the prophets were not inspired. The words were inspired. The writers of scripture were not inspired. The Bible says the scriptures are inspired. God, well, you know what inspired means, right? It means well breathed out. So inspired, given the inspiration of God, the scriptures were God breathed. So God didn't breathe out the prophets; He breathed out the scriptures. Now there, that's an important. There's an important distinction there, because there are there are cults today who claim that their spokespeople are inspired of God. So therefore, everything they say is the word of God. All right. So th- and that's just not true, because men were not inspired. The words were inspired. Okay, so, um, the ministry of a prophet, all right? Prophet's ministry basically had two aspects. All, all concerning the word of God, receiving revelation, giving revelation from God. So it bo- so it included what is known as forth-telling. In other words, a prophet preached God's message for the present, Telling what the people needed to do, and it involved foretelling, which is God's message about the future. And some of those sometimes they kind of combine because you know God would tell Isaiah, for example, to say something to Israel and tell them if they didn't obey it, then this is what was going to happen. So, but that's basically the ministry of prophet: foretelling, giving God's message, and then foretelling, revealing the future. All right. So when we think of prophecy, we think of revealing the future. However, if you were to take a study of three of the, the very famous, the three of the biggest, biggest prophet books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you will find out they, all three of them, preach much more about that day than about the future. But, but, but then again, very, both are very important. So the same with New Testament prophets. They also received revelation from God and they gave it. And some of it was for the, for the day. All right? So, anyway, some of it was for the, the days to come. Right? Several um, books of the New Testament have some, el- some element of, of futuristic message. Of course, when you get to the book of Revelation, that's almost all future reference. Okay, so. Look at Ephesians two twenty concerning the foundation of the church. It says this verse twenty, talking about the household of God, the saints, the believers, and what God's doing in this in this age in which we live, and that we as the church are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That is the ministry of the apostles and prophets. That is, the word of the apostle prophet, which was, which was the word of God, which is the New Testament. Specifically, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the buildings, he's talking here about a spiritual building, in whom all the buildings fitly framed together groweth in, unto an holy temple Lord, in whom we also are building together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So, and we're going to go to another, path. we're not going to go to the First Corinthians passage now, we're going we're to stay in order here, um, but the scripture makes it very clear that with the end of the book of Revelation, that's the end of God's revelation, okay? In fact, the last chapter... Of Revelation chapter twenty-two gives a very severe warning about adding to or taking away from that particular book. So that book is at the end of the Bible for a reason. It was the last one written, and God says there's a v- very stern. Jesus said there's a very very harsh penalty for anybody who would add to the book of Revelation. All right. So the bu- the Bible is finished. It's all done. God's word is fully revealed. So there is no more new scripture coming out. There is no more new revelation from God. All right? um, the next revelation will be Jesus himself coming. Right Now I know that there are other books. There's the Koran, there's the Book of Mormon, but they're, they're false and they're deceitful. In fact, I, you've probably, have you seen those commercials at all? I, don't, I haven't seen them lately. Maybe, maybe they don't have enough money to afford them. But anyway, they, the Mormons used to put out commercials referring to the Book of Mormon as, remember, another testament of Jesus Christ. It's not. It's not. In fact, I got into trouble, well, not in trouble, but I got into a debate one time with Mormons. I thought, I'm going to do this. I took the Book of Mormon because there are scriptures in the Book of Mormon. Did you know that? There are Bible scriptures, Bible verses you know, kind of, whatever, whatever you want to call it, mixed in with the Book of Mormon. And so I pointed one out to one of these Mormon fellows that came to our house, two of them, and I said, look at this right here, the Book of Mormon. Abraham took other wives also, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So they took Genesis, a part of a verse in Genesis, and a part of a verse in Romans, or Genesis as well, and they put them together. But they can, they're t- totally wrong. They, they do that because the Mormons have always believed that to have, in having more than one wife and all those kinds of things, and they claim that Abraham did it. Well, anyway, um, so there's an example. So there's books out there that claim to be the word of God, and they're not. They're, this is the word of God, all right? Genesis to Revelation is the word of God, and we need to, we need to you know, uh, we, we just need to stand on that, um, the, no, no, but no apostle of Jesus. None of them ever said anything about any future books. All right. So I'm not sure if we'll get. We'll probably get that far. All right. The third gift is the gift of evangelist. That's also in Ephesians chapter number four. So that there's a difference. I hope you, there is a difference between the the the, the two gifts of apostle and prophet, we could call these revelatory gifts. Because both apostles and prophets got revelation from God. The gifts of evangelist and pastor-teacher are teaching gifts. Preaching gifts. Not revelatory. Alright? I've, I've been you know pastor here for almost 46 years. I have never ever ever received a revelation from God. God's never dropped anything down from heaven. He's never spoken to me about anything that's not in the Bible. He's never given me a new message or a new word or anything. Again, there are people who claim that God does that. But that's not Bible. It's not biblical. All right? So the gift, so the evangelist, let's take a look at him for just a moment. And the the word evangelist, see it there in, in Ephesians 4 verse 11, evangelist it means a preacher of the gospel. Preacher of the gospel. Um, And the word is used, it was used in the New Testament, of men who travel from place to place preaching the gospel. Alright? And uh, uh, especially, and the Bible says gifted. So these men are gifted in that ministry. Um, In Acts 21, let's go there. Let's, take, let's go to Acts chapter 21. It's interesting. And again, only God knows. Um, I'm sure that there are more because the Bible says evangelists with an S. That means there's more than one. But there's only one person in the Bible, in the New Testament, who's actually called an evangelist. All right, let's take a look at him. Acts 21. Notice what it says, Acts chapter 21, um, verse 8. Acts 21, eight, And the next day, when we that were of Paul's company departed, came into Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and abode with him. We stayed him. One of the seven what? One of the seven chosen in Acts 6, to help in the distribution of food and, and to meet the needs of the widows in the church. And so that was kind of a forerunner to the office of a deacon, all right? So we could say Philip was one of the seven original deacons, and he got promoted, so to speak. God called him to be an evangelist, okay? Let's take a look at his ministry. We're definitely not even going to try to get to the second part of the message tonight. but So let's go back to Acts chapter 8. What is really neat about this is... Chapter 8 tells us about Philip's ministry. Gives us a glimpse into at least three aspects of his ministry. And you probably are familiar with these. Um, We don't seem to emphasize the third one as much for some reason. But Acts chapter 8 and verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. So he went to Samaria, preached the gospel. And there was a a lot of results. Right Then, let's skip to um, verse 35, chapter 8 of Acts, verse 35. And this is where you know Philip, God told the Spirit of God, led Philip to go to the desert. You can read the rest of the chapter if you're not familiar with the story. Um, as Philip is going down to the desert, there's a man coming by in a chariot. He's a man from Ethiopia. And again, God arranged the circumstances for Philip to go to the chariot. And the man in the chariot, the Ethiopian, is reading out of the the book of Isaiah. And he calls Philip up. You know, again, this was arranged by God. You know, the the Ethiopian doesn't understand what he's reading. He wants to understand. So he, he invites Philip to come up in the chariot. All right, so we'll pick it up in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. In other words, the message of Jesus, the gospel, that he needed to be saved and all those things, All right, That's what he did. So let's go down to verse 40. We know the, the Ethiopian was saved, he got baptized, all that. In verse 40, well, verse 39, and when they were come up out of the water... Philip baptized the eunuch. Uh, when they were out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities, till he came to Caesarea. So, there's what an evangelist does—they travel from place to place, and they have they preach. And I mean, it was like Philip; it was like kind of like a, a modern day evangelistic meeting. He preached publicly. He preached to the people. And so the, that's that's a good, a good example of the work of an evangelist. Now, I just want to mention one other individual. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul instructed Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. All right, so and some interpret that to mean that Timothy was to leave Ephesus and go traveling, we, and don't know if that happened or not. But, any, but anyway, he was to do the work of an evangelist. And so most of us just just kind of take that 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 God that Paul or Paul instructs Timothy and challenges us as pastors that we need to also be soul winning. We need to be giving the gospel. You know, be, be that that should be included as part of our ministry so that's evangelists, okay? Today we know several traveling evangelists, right? Ken Lynch, Mike Pelletier, Brother Fielder, different people like that. Now a lot of those men, they preach the gospel. let take an example Brother Lynch. When he's here, he preaches the gospel, but he also preaches other Bible messages, and he, and he has a heart for revival. I think every evangelist I've ever known or heard has a heart for revival. So they they've kind of incorporated that into their ministry, which is probably which is probably a great thing. We need that. We need that. So God gave the evangelist to the church. To kind of come in and stir up the church. Now, a pastor, friend of mine, refers to evangelists as those who blow in, blow up, and blow away. But that's that's another subject, all right. So again, that, just because somebody calls himself an evangelist, you know, doesn't mean that he is one. But uh, I don't think I can't. We've never had, I don't think we ever had anybody over the years that 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 would not fit the, the role of a biblical evangelist. All right. One other thing. Let me say this too. You don't find the word missionary in the Bible, but most missionaries would fit in the category of evangelists because of what they do. Now they some of them stay, but really the, the goal of, the, of missions is for a missionary like we let's I'll just pull one out of the air, the accurates down there in Ecuador. Their goal is to go to that city of Quito and get a church started and help hope and help to train. Or train a, a, an Ecuadorian to become the pastor, and then they'll move on to another place. That's, that's what biblical missions is all about, and that's what most missionaries that we know and support, that's what they try to do. All right? And, um... You know, our dear, our dear friend, our dear brother Jesse, you know, went home to heaven to be with the Lord, and of all the ones we supported, he probably was most active in training men and starting churches, and he has placed, you know, he has sent men all over, the, all over Liberia, but that, that's biblical missions, and so they would fall under the category of an evangelist. All right, there's one more, and that's in Ephesians, all right? Chapter 4, it's pastors and teachers pastors and teachers <clears throat> most likely I, I'm, I'm convinced of this um, that this is one referring to one individual or individuals it's referring to one office let's put it that way one ministry right the word pastor means shepherd and that refers to the, the, the care and oversight of the flock um, teacher means instructor and refers to pastoral teaching of the Word of God. all right let's go to one other scripture first Peter chapter 5 about this first Peter chapter 5 First um, Peter chapter number five. Starting in verse one, and here Peter says, "The elders which are among you, I exhort." Now he's talking to, kind of like he, he talks about those that are scattered because of persecution. Now, even though they were scattered, they were still able to meet. They were still they, their churches were still being established, and and they met together. And so there were officers, there were elders that were put there. The elders which are among you, I exhort. Who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now, there are two, Here we here's the, the kind of in reverse, okay? The office of pastor and teacher is described beautifully here in verse 2. Simple, simply, feed the flock of God. That's the teaching ministry, that's the word of God taking the oversight thereof. That's the shepherd, that's the pastoral part, right? Taking the oversight, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, right? So we're not kings, lords, we're not dictators, but being examples um, to the flock, all right? So obviously there needs to be, and as the New Testament went on, you know, they, can, they, they train men, they put them in position, and let me give you one other verse along this line to show you that it's, it's, to, it's meant to be carried on, and that's in Timothy, Second Timothy, Second um, Timothy chapter two, and you can see that this, this is to be continued, and it's being continued down to our day, um, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, this is what Paul instructs Timothy, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So there's that principle of, you know, Timothy was to teach, and then they were to teach, and then they were to teach, and that's how God intended for the word of God to be passed from generation to generation. And, and so, just being repeated the process, if you want to call it that, um, being repeated. Now, the purpose of this, we're going to take a look at one verse in Ephesians 4, and then we're then we're done. And then we're going to try, then next Sunday evening, uh, Lord willing, we're going to we'll put it in the perspective in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I, I hope to show you from the Bible. Uh, that prove to you that there are certain gifts that no longer are in existence today. If anybody tries to do them, it's a false gift, all right? It's false, all right? But before we do, we're not going to try to get to there tonight. That's a whole other message. Um, But Ephesians, um, where am I at? Let's see. Yeah, Ephesians 4, all right? I'll read verse 11, then I'll read verse 12, all right? Now, there are three things in verse 11, or verse 12, rather, that these men are to do. And the apostles did it. And the prophets did it. All right? And evangelists are to do it, and pastor-teachers are to do it. What is it? Let's see. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers three things for the perfecting of the saints. All right? For the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting there means training and equipping saints are believers. Right. So that's the first thing. all right. And the second thing is for the work of the ministry. That is, that's a progression here. So these gifted men in our day it falls upon the evangelists, but more the bigger the bigger burden, if you want to call it that, the bigger responsibility falls upon the pastor. Because again, evangelists they come and they go somewhere else, the pastor's left behind to continue the ministry. And so he is to perfect the saints, he's to equip the saints, and there's a reason to do that, for the work of the ministry. Right? So the saints who are being trained and perfected, they're to do the work of the ministry. You know, not all the work. Um, you know, but the pastor has his, his work to do, and teachers have their work, and, and so on. And that's how it's meant to be. And then it's also the, the third for the edifying of the body of Christ. That is to build building up of the church spiritually. We could call that spiritual growth. That's the that's the whole purpose. God gave these gifts to men. Putting them in the ministry to accomplish these things. Okay, and so that's his. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. That's God's program. And we dare not. We dare not change it or alter it or replace it or throw it out or anything like that. We keep doing it. Jesus gave his disciples that that challenge. Go you therefore teach all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever Sarah have commanded you, and lo, and will be you all away, even to the end of the world. That is the end of this world as we know it, the end of the age. So there's no stopping. All right? So anyway, there, so next week, Lord willing, next Sunday night, we'll look at what I'm, what I'm calling an important spiritual perspective from the book of First Corinthians, all right? Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for the word of God tonight. Thank you for the truth of it and this, the clear teaching. And Lord, I pray for continued guidance in this in this area. Um, it's a controversial one, not because the Bible is not clear about it, but because some have chosen to ignore or change even what the Bible says. And so help us to be faithful, dear Lord. I claim not to be an expert, but I, I just claim, Father, that the the help of God and the help of the Holy Spirit to bring forth these messages, these lessons. And we'll, we'll thank you for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, and then next Sunday evening, we're going to even look more at the importance of the scripture. All right? But in the meantime, let's take our hymn books. Like, let, me, let me make a note to self here where we're going to start. Not that I'd forget anything ever. <laughs> all right, might as well laugh about it, right? <laughs> rather than cry about it. (laughs) All right, hymn number 179. Number 179. Wonderful, wonderful little hymn. Oh, it's a great hymn. We'll sing, it's very short. We'll sing all four verses. Um, Holy Bible, Book Divine.
1: Treasure, thou art mine. Mine to tell me whence I came, mine to teach me what I. Mine to chide me when I rove Mine to show a Savior's love. Mine thou art to guide and guard. Mine to part. Sure reward Mine to comfort in distress Suffering in this wilderness Mine to show by living faith Man can triumph over death. Mine to tell of joys to come, and the rebel sinners doomed. Oh, the holy birth, divine, precious treasure,
0: mine. Amen. Amen. I appreciate your prayers. I didn't mention this morning, but uh, Lord willing, tomorrow um, my wife and I are going go to go down to Carlisle. There's a conference there. Um, We'll be back Wednesday. We'll be back in time for prayer meeting. Have to be. There's other things that need to be done. So it's American Council Christian Churches um, special conference they have every fall. So be leaving sometime tomorrow, not sure yet when. (laughs) So a couple of things we have to take care of before we do that. So anyway, appreciate your prayers. Father, thanks so much for this another great day um, here in thy house and for all the privileges that are ours, the blessings being able to sing the great hymns and to pray to thee and worship thee and, and have our Bibles open and learn from the word of God and pray your blessing on everybody as they travel to their homes tonight. Lord God, especially clear the way and keep the deer and stuff away from the roads we would pray and and then lord for the day tomorrow some going to back to work um be with them dear lord and watch over them and for jan and me as we head out to carlisle sometime in the afternoon and bless the men and the families that will be gathered there for the conference and just pray that it would be a time of great blessing and encouragement and strengthening and we'll thank thee lord and for all these things we pray in jesus name amen